the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today we're joined by fellow podcaster and actor Scroobius Pip, host of the excellent Distraction Pieces podcast. Hello Pip. Hello sir, how are you? I'm very good thank you and actually I did want to ask how are you doing? I feel like on Distraction Pieces you're so good at asking your guests how they're feeling, how they are in body, mind and soul. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Yesterday and the day before I managed to get three cinema trips in and the cinema is really my 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 place that I'm I'm most at peace I think so and all three of the films I really enjoyed so that was a bonus. My local cinema is a Cineworld, so I've got one of the unlimited cards, and it means I will take more risks. You know, I will sometimes come out and go, ah, that wasn't great. But all three of the films I watched, I really enjoyed. So it's been a nice little run of uh, of cinema times. That sounds like heaven, a day at the cinema. Oh, yeah, I love I, love I did a double days. day yesterday, and on, on m- Monday, no, on Tuesday, I was driving home from the north, and I decided to break it up with a cinema trip. I'm really thrilled to have you on, on the show, Pip. I've been listening to Distraction Pieces for such a long time. And, and that's actually when I, I guess I first really engaged with your work. I, I was maybe a little bit too late to the party to, to enjoy your, your work as a rapper. But um, I was, I've been with podcasts for such a long time. I think I probably listened from episode one and, and I've just been listening ever since. Uh, it's it's a really remarkable show. It's such a mad thing how my career has gone is there seems to be so many different points that people came on board so there will be a load of people who've never heard the podcast but have got all my albums there'll be a load of people who've who who love the podcast but have never heard any of my music and now with the acting a show i recently did in america called debris there's a whole load of people who only know me from that show because it was on nbc it was a big show i had a decent role only know me from that and then i'm like oh he's got a podcast and then oh it's done music. It's like there's so many weird periods along, yeah, my odd little journey. I guess it's it's, like it's a fascinating newcomer one. Pip stars in debris, and you're like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, go back a few years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been around for a while, but yeah, it it does mean I regularly have many different points of people going, what kind of name is Scroobius Pip, and all this kind of thing. It's like I had that 15 years ago, and I had it. 15 weeks ago so it's it's that kind of constant thing over a period of time you know people have enjoyed your work first of all they, they they've got to know your your voice both through rap and now as a spoken word and, and just through doing interviews and now they're getting to see your face and see your body uh you know you're sort of gradually sharing more and more of yourself with the world well that's the weirdest part it's the, sh- the sharing and removing so the podcast kind of was the thing that introduced most people who knew who i was at least to the fact i've got a stutter because in my music, I didn't stutter. And in interviews, you know, it's quite, it comes and goes. It's not prominent constantly. But on a 90-minute conversation every week, it's going to come up a lot. But then with scripted work, if my character hasn't got a stutter, I I do what I do the appropriate amount of prep to make sure I'm not stammering on camera. 
So it's now gone back the other way <laughs> of all these people either just seeing me act and then finding the podcast and find out I've got a stammer or having heard the podcast then seeing me act again wait hang on <laughs> so, so you could talk normally all along it's like well it's, it's not as simple as that it's not this quite as simple as that work has to go into it but yeah it's kind of because the podcast is so free form I can't prepare where I'm going to take a breath or what I'm going to do to give a run up onto this particular word or or sound whereas with scripted you know acting i can and it's yeah it's an interesting m mixture of things there that that confuses a lot of people i think there's two different muscles isn't it you know to, to doing the, the acting work to doing the interview yeah. work um, yeah you know completely. very ambidextrous yeah uh, when i moved into acting i'd have a lot of people in the in the industry say oh you must find learning lines easy because of your music we had to learn all these these lyrics and i was like no i don't find it easy and i didn't find it easy then i just put in hundreds of hours of repetition and work to get it into my brain i don't think i have a natural propensity to to learn in lines but i do have a natural propensity to working hard and wanting to or i have a natural propensity to go and how mad is it that they're still letting me do all these things I want to do? So it's like, I'm going to work my ass off to make sure no, I don't want to give them a reason to go, oh, hold up a second. Why Why is that weird hairy guy from a small town in Essex who's got a, st a stutter on my TV or on in my ears? It's like, there's always that fear at some point I'm going to get found out. So yeah, I'm happy to put in the work and effort to, to at least not give them a reason. Yeah, from where I'm sitting, you're doing such a great job. In, in just a couple of years, you've been in some major TV shows and you've got some film work as well. Yeah, so that's always good. And again, it's been a real compliment that two or three of the TV sh shows I've done, when I got the role, it was a smaller role than it ended up being, but I made a good enough impression on set. And yeah, I showed I cared. I'm not just turning up and going, ah, it's a small role. I'll just turn up and say my one line and go on, on my way. This is all still exciting to me. I didn't get to go to drama school or any of this, this fancy stuff. So I'm going, I, I'm going to b b build out this whole character and know everything about them, even though I'm just standing in the background or I'm doing this or doing that. On Taboo, my first scene was with Stephen Graham. Oh, wow. And I had no lines. I'm stood there whilst Stevie Graham and, and Tom Hardy are chatting. And just as we're about to start... Davey goes, well, we wouldn't be standing here in silence. So while we're waiting for Tom's character to come up, he's like, I'm going to just improvise some stuff with you. And I was like, oh, shit. But thankfully, I'd kind of got my character kind of clear in my head. And we improvised. And it went down well. And the producers were watching and the, the, and the director was watching. And I think it meant that this character that was going to be quite background, they went, oh, we can trust Pip with more stuff if we need to. You know, it didn't force anything, but... When there were points, as anyone in TV or film will know, when there were points that we need to do last-minute changes or adjust something, it was easy to go, oh, we'll give that to Pip's character. We'll give that to French Bill. We'll just, he'll kill that person or say that line or add this bit. And yeah, it it, it was a beautiful thing to have someone like Stevie who I've admired in the work of Shea Meadows for a long time. So yeah. It's great to have someone like that test me. And then when we came off set, we we're in a car back together. And he's like, I knew you could do it. I knew this would work. I knew we'd connect. And I was like, I was quietly thinking in my head, I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't know I could do it. And I didn't know it'd work and it'd connect. But he knew it. So the, 
that's the reason he did that. He didn't do it to try and catch me out or to, he was like, no, I'm going to improvise. And yeah, it was a, a beautiful moment. I know you're a, you're a, you know, obviously a big fan of film and, and television. When you're doing a, you know, it sounds like a surprise scene with a legend like Stephen Graham, do you have a sort of pinch me, I'm actually doing this for a job? Mate, constantly. When, when like Stevie and, and Tom are two of my best mates now, and I regularly have pinched myself at just that, that my real life is, oh, here we are, just chatting away, particularly when we go back, and obviously we're going to talk about the film, but when I go back and go, go through my kind of upbringing as a film fan, as a TV fan, and see so many of these people that I can call c- colleagues and friends now, are people that I've absolutely adored and worshipped for a long time. And also, who better to learn from, man? Like, uh, Taboo is the best example of that for me, that I had a good few months on on set for that when I was anywhere near the set and wasn't working I'd ask if I could go and watch if I'd wrapped I'll stick around because again it's that awareness that I didn't get to go to drama school or any of that it's like I'll watch on monitors and learn from Tom Hardy and Stephen Graham and 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 all, all these amazing people moving into acting has that changed how you you approach the podcast sort of aware that you you could be interviewing someone who might be you might be auditioning for you know down the line or an actor you might be sharing a scene with in a few months time yeah it's really made me sack off the idea of thinking about what the listener wants (laughs) and and focus a hundred percent on just having these conversations because i mean paddy considine is a prime example i got him on early on because I wanted to learn off him, because I'm a huge fan of everything he's done. And he was another one who we exchanged messages back and forth every now and then. I think it's meant the podcast has gone heavier in the direction of actors, writers, producers and directors. There will still be comedians and musicians and scientists and journalists and all sorts on, but I'm always, I will often have a chance to chat to someone that I will know maybe isn't g- going to blow people up l- listener-wise. It's not going to be a, oh, you've got Carl Pilkington on. You know, it's not going to be one of them. But it, but for me, it's like, I know that this dude produced these films. Like I had Sean Levy on recently for, for, for Fall Guy. And I loved Fall Guy. But I loved Stranger Things. And I loved R- Real Steel. And all of these kind of things, I'm like... I just want to have this conversation and learn off this dude. And the fact is, like we talked about it on on set there with private lessons with Stephen Graham and Tom Hardy. That's what the podcast can be as well. I get to sit down with actors that I adore and have an hour to pick their brain. I always remember when I had Michael Fassbender on, I had a message of someone go, all you talked about was his films and TV. I want to hear about like what he's like in his downtime and all this kind of thing. And I was like, I don't. If I've got an hour, if I've got an hour with this dude who has been in so many films I adore, I want to get as much out of that and hear the process and pick apart all the tiny little nuances in his performances, his the way he collaborates with the DOP as much as the director and all these different things. That's what I want to learn. I don't want to go, so what's it like on a night out with you and your pals? If I had t- two hours, the the, the then maybe I'd go there too. But if I've got a limited amount of time, I want to glean as much information from these masters as as possible. 
you mentioned you've been to the cinema a few times recently. Generally, when you are looking at, say, listings at your local uh, cinema or you're sort of going through, you know, what's on the streaming services, do you also pivot to the runtime to just sort of like make double sure that's what you want to watch? More so on the streaming services. In the cinema, it's generally like, right, I'm there. I'm locked in. It's my, it's, it's its own world. On your Netflixes and on your Amazons, I can't lie, there will be a... How long is it? It feels a bit much for tonight. I'm not really in the mood for a a lot. I want something about 88 minutes. And uh, yeah, so that comes into it a lot more. And I don't know how I feel about that because some of my favourite films are dead long, but I can't deny that that feeling. I always remember I was going to to a preview screening or something and I invited my pal Brett Goldstein and he turned it down based on the running time. Because it was over two hours, he said, nah, I'm going to give it a miss. And he was very much on that. I want it under 90 minutes. Otherwise, I'm not in the mood. And I I, I dug him out for it. I continue to mock him for it. But I think the reason I do it is because I also understand it and I feel it. And I do it, it, it regularly. But the fact that he couldn't handle a film that was over two hours, I was like, come on, mate. (laughs) <laughs> I thought you liked films, but as said, the only reason I, I hit him so hard for it was like, I completely know what you're saying. And if it wasn't one that I was really excited for, I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't have gone for it myself, maybe. When we were talking about this podcast and I sort of said, you know, is there one film, which film do you want to go for? How did you approach that? Well, firstly, I asked you if you had a list of 90 minutes or less films, because the first load of films I tried to go for that, I'm sure that's quite so- short. I'd look on the back of the DVD and go, oh, 98 minutes, oh, 94 but I was scrolling through and there were a few that really caught my eye. But then as soon as I saw Room for Romeo Brass on there, there was no other choice because I think it was the film that got me in, that turned me into a film nerd, essentially. I had it recommended by a guy at college and I put it on and it just blew me away. And it introduced me to Shay Meadows, to Paddy Considine, to Andrew Shim, to Vicky McClure, to so many people who have been key going forward that I was like it's got to be Room for Romeo Brass I think A Room for Romeo Brass is the most underrated of Shane's films I would say it's my favourite or my joint favourite yet Dead Man's Shoes is the one that so many people reference the way that Shane paints the story is just it's mind-blowing I don't know how he does it I don't know how he did it knowing how much improvisation and stuff is in there it blows my mind how intricate and beautiful it, it all plays out. Twelve-year-olds Romeo and Gavin live next door to each other. They're the best of mates with a shared sense of humour that helps them survive in a landscape of comic losers and broken dreams. But their friendship is put to the test by a chance encounter. After a stranger saves them from being beaten up, the boys are only too happy to help their new hero and pal in his quest to date Romeo's sister. Little do they realise they are being drawn into a world of dangerous obsession, violence and desperation. A world that threatens to tear their two friends apart. Rewatching it last night really highlighted how, until a certain point, it's a comedy. Like Paddy's performance as morale is very much comedic over the top but also rooted in reality because anyone who's lived in a small town or any kind of town you've known those characters those characters who are a bit weird or or there will have been someone at school who was you know a bit weird a bit into their army stuff a bit into a a bit of a liar a bit of a a, a fantasist and they're kind of a comedy 
character as such and the introduction of him as that is just so wonderful his voice his mannerisms his movements are are glorious but when it gets dark it gets dark man and it really i remember the first time i watched it the scene that it turns just hit me like no other scene had hit me before because we're like as you say it's a 90 minute film we're probably 40 45 minutes in before there's any darkness or heaviness and it proper comes out of nowhere i think it tops paddy's moment in in dead man's shoes it's 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 the it's the prequel to that it's that thing that just catches you out of nowhere and it's obviously we're going to have spoilers in this i'm sure but it's when romeo has gone to get ice cream and knock knock and morella chatting about the prank that had been played and then he just flips and turns on him and gets real close to him and real horrible but still with the funny voice and the funny mannerisms but suddenly it's not funny at all suddenly it's so dark and so scary it's ah it's amazing you know i guess it's that old adage it's not what you've got but it's how you use it and i think in 90 minutes shane's so good at putting the emphasis on building up this world this reality you sort of feel like you just about know where things are and then he can turn and twist it and then you know like things get a bit darker you know and at that moment with the ice cream that was where it makes you sit up on your in your seat you're like okay i'm actually really not sure about this guy anymore the the way paddy performs it he's so charismatic you want to like him you want to relate to him and you don't know how to feel when he does something like that yeah completely and it is that weird thing of wanting to like him and relate to him because he's being portrayed as as a wally as a loser as an idiot but in his performance is so charismatic as you say that he's lovable in that way so you're you're kind of not wanting to laugh at him you're wanting to root for him and then when it flips and you start to question how much of it is delusion how much of it is that he's this this dangerous because there's a few points where he's talking about being a tough guy and this and that and then you go well, well even if it is delusional he's hanging out with two kids so he's a tough guy to them he could do really horrible things t- to them and yeah it, it goes in and out of it so swiftly and romeo knows nothing of it after that scene i guess we're seeing that character through so many in, in so many different ways like you know to romeo he's this hero and knock knock's feeling so scared at that point and and it's again it makes it makes you a really active participant in this film you're like do i want to turn a blind eye to that can i do that could i just have the romeo relate and like it's it's really yes it's, it's i love films that make you talk about it afterwards and the first time i saw romeo brass i was just talking about it for days and days and days once it finished yeah and 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 again they do blur that line because the typical baddie character a romeo's dad who's obviously he's he's left the home played by frank harper from football factory and numerous other things is always the bad guy in these things paddy's character tries to stand up to him you know when when they're he's he's round and, and romeo doesn't want to see him so you've got this we've seen him to be the bad guy but he's also kind of being the good guy he's standing up to the more obvious bad guys so there really is a a blurred line he's he's getting sympathy dates off of a, a young vicky mcclure which i'd kind of forgotten that, that vicky was in this and also when on the rewatch just to, to rewind a bit 
I've not watched it since I've known what Shay Meadows looked like. So I didn't know he's the guy in the fish and chip shop. He's then the nurse in the hospital as well. Um, so yeah, there was a few little bits that you're like, oh, wow, that's that's that person. He does a really good job of turning this harmless character that you're laughing at kind of thing into a really scary, dangerous character. And then the ending is just one of the most masterfully executed moments in film history, in my opinion, because really, this guy isn't Darth Vader or or Hitler or whomever else, but when he gets his comeuppance, I've never felt such a feeling of relief and joy that he got his, his comeuppance. And the way in which he gets it, that it's so throwaway, that really he's been allowed to become this terrifying figure because no one has confronted him as such even even knock knock's dad he's kind of saying you can't come in but he's clearly scared and then romeo's dad comes in and just sparks him (laughs) and it's as simple as that instantly he turns back into that weak pathetic character that we saw at the start and we've forgotten about almost because now it is it's like no this guy's a psychopath he's going to kill someone here he's going to kill potentially multiple people he's going to do horrible things and then instantly a genuine hard nut comes along and that's it bang he deals with morel but then he also goes and comforts knock knock's dad and makes sure he's okay so it really is a beautiful kind of and it's all felt it all feels realistic it doesn't feel as if it's a departure from the bad dad character that we've previously seen it feels realistic that he's like are you all right and kind of and looks after him and all of it i just think it's just so wonderfully executed again i'm obviously aware of i'm giving all the spoilers away here and the whole begin start middle and end but that journey of as a viewer saying morale is pathetic then realistically him transforming into this villainous character terrifying character to the point he's got a grown man on his knees ready to be killed essentially and then like that you're like no he's just this little delusional prick and he can off back to where he came from and yeah all of that acting all of that moment Romeo's dad holding his throat and the way Paddy plays it is just so all of a sudden so pathetic and so lame in many ways it's wonderful man it's so good it's a real acting showcase I think this film you know star making performances from Paddy Considine and and Andrew Shim and Vicky McClure and all these people but um it's just you know this film is a low budget movie it was shot in like 40 days I think it's Shane's second feature film but you know the confidence be like it's right we don't need a load of money I've got an amazing cast and we're going to work in such a way to make this hugely gripping involved drama um I mean that that's really something special and I think that's why this film you know why we're talking about it today you know why we're remembering this movie and 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 the confidence that you've got this amazing cast when they're an amazing cast that only you know are amazing and you probably don't know because again it's the debut for so the the key performances of paddy and and shimmy it's their debuts so it's like that confidence to be no i have got an amazing cast you there must have been something at the back of his head going have i i think i have 
I'm pretty sure I have. It's untested. None, none of them have done anything l- like this before. But w- wow, did they all deliver. Hi, lads. What can I get you? Um, I'll have a large bag of chips with a beef and onion pie. And then I'll have two small kiddies portion chips. So you want large pie and chips and two kiddies, yeah? Yeah. We do a family-sized for just a third extra. It's just 90 pence if you want a family bag. Oh, family, family bag. Yeah, OK. Do you want this family bag? Do you want that open or wrapped? Open, please. What about you? Do you want your kiddie portion? Hey, yeah, open? yeah, yeah. He's not having any. They're not for it. It's for my sister and mum. Oh, go on, just a few. Hey, if you want chips, you bring money. You bring money. I brought money here. It's um, become a bit of a, a Chain Meadows trademark. He's really great at finding, especially young performers. We saw it we, uh, a lot with with Dis England, and it was nice to see Vicky McClure came back, um, you know, back in the in, in the Shane Meadows rep company for Dis England. And 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 I, I do love as a film fan, I always love it when you get to know a bit of the you know the relationships, like you know De Niro, Scorsese, Shane Meadows, Considine. You know that, that that's that's beautiful. And and going on this journey, and I I, I totally didn't acknowledge or, or didn't remember Vicky McClure was in this either and that was just like a little bonus for me as a Shane Meadows fan you know loving This Is England the film and the TV series like oh wow because she's been so key in other things yeah this is where it started I just had to, to ch- check I need to name check Ben Marshall because as I said he's not one that continued on in acting but his performance as Knock Knock is equally amazing he's so funny and likeable and but clearly delicate throughout and it's another one he's one that didn't continue on as shim did and paddy did and and vicky did um in the in the shay meadows kind of universe as such but yeah his performance is wonderful as well I always do this after uh, watching a film, going on to IMDb, you know, what do these people do next? And I was like, oh, a bit gutted he didn't do anything else because he's actually really good in this. But that's a little nugget. It's like nice to say, if you want to see a great performance from this guy who's only been in this one film, he's, you know, one of the leads in Romeo Brass. 100% absolutely pivotal character and performance. And it's interesting because having had Shimmy and Michael Soccer and Vicky and a load of others, Paddy, Stevie Graham, a load of Shane's kind of muses on the podcast, it's been interesting to hear how tough it can be for a lot of them to then continue on acting because Shane has such a specific way of doing things. And Stephen Graham had done other stuff and Vicky had been working, but I know Shim really struggled the first time he got a job outside of Shane because he had to learn lines and they maybe didn't have weeks of rehearsal and fleshing it out and finding it as in the way that Shane works and I think that may have influenced Ben Ben Marshall's choice because it's a very specific way to work I guess um I was lucky enough to audition for Shane when he was doing the virtues and the virtues was an interesting project because it was on it was on the cards and then it was on hold for ages and then they were going again and basically he wrote the lead role for Stevie for Stephen Graham and then Stephen wasn't available so they started auditioning other people and I got to audition for for for, for that role and the way it works is he says look the casting director Shaheen Baig shout out to Shaheen one of the best in the game she says look I'm going to send you the the breakdown what we need you to do is open it and record immediately and only do one take. 
So I got the email while I was sat in my mate Stu Whiffin's shed about to record a drunk podcast. So I was like, right, I'm not going to open it <laughs> until tomorrow. So we recorded five hours of getting drunk. And then I got up the next morning and I was like, right, I set my camera up on that first because I was like, I don't want to cheat. And I'm sure people do. But I was like, I'm going to press record and I'm going to open the email on camera and then go straight into it. Because I, I, I love shit like that. I think it's really good. You could go read it and do 10 versions, do loads of prep. But I was like, no, if we were in the room, we wouldn't have had that opportunity. So let's just go. Let's do it. And I open it. And as, as I said, it's for the lead, that lead role. And essentially all it said is your character is in the dock in a courtroom and he's got a plead to the judge for access to his children. He's previously been an alcoholic. He's recovered now. Go. And I was like, number one, blinding, because I feel proper rough because I got hammered last night. So that's perfect <laughs> bit of, of pre-prep there that I'm a bit emotional and haggard. I do this audition. I send it off. I never hear anything. All good. And then a year or two later, I had a script in development with Walp, who obviously did all of Shane's or loads of Shane's stuff. And I'm in with Mark, who runs Walp. And he was like, yeah, yeah, you, you almost got that virtues thing, you know. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, yeah, we we were down to a couple of people and you were one of them or a few, a few people. And then St Stevie became available again. So I always have a rule that if you can cast Stephen Graham, you should cast <laughs> Stephen Graham. So obviously, Stevie became available again. The role was, was written for him. But I'd assumed, because of the way acting works, that you generally just don't hear any feedback. I'd assumed, sent it in, it's been ignored. But to hear from Mark and go, yeah, yeah, you almost... Like, we were there, and we were looking at you and one or two others. Because if it wasn't Stevie, they didn't want to go for someone already established at that at that level, as, as Shane tends to work. So yeah, that was absolute madness. Years later, he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." It was you were in the running there, and then, and then obviously oh, when wild. Stephen Graham became available <laughs> again, we went with him. But I'm so glad I didn't get that because the Virtues is one of the best performances I've ever seen from anyone, and I'm confident in my ability and in the work I'll put in. But Stephen Graham is Stephen Graham, and the scene where he's on the bed talking to his son I don't think there's a better acting performance in a scene I think as a scene you might be able to find some things that equal it but there's a handful of, of scenes that come to mind and that one on the bed with Stevie is as good as any Hello, I'm Martin. I'm Sam, and together we host Song by Song, a show about the music of Tom Waits. So you're listening to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival right now, but guess what? We're part of the same network, Stripped Media. In fact, we did a crossover episode with Sam and Louise where we talked about Wrist Cutters, A Love Story, the only film Tom Waits appears in that's less than 90 minutes long. Uh, we've both been on the show. We've both been on 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, so True. do check that out as well. But if you'd like to hear the 90 Minutes crew thoughts on Tom Waits and culture in general, take a look at songbysongpodcast.com or search Song by Song wherever you find podcasts.
what you're saying about you know actors maybe sometimes feel a bit spoiled once they've worked with with Shane because he's so unique but that's I mean that's what I'd love as an audience member as well like I was watching this film the other night smiling ear to ear just loving watching a Shane Meadows film that I'd sort of forgotten about I'd forgotten all the beats yeah. to it all the conversations all the bits between Sh- Shimmy and Ben Marshall are just so you like mm. I'd love to know how much of that was ever written down anywhere because when even from the start when they're going to get the fish and chips and then what is the big ending? They're just having a chat in his bedroom and it's just so real and wonderful. Just like the little details as well that they've probably, they probably, you can imagine it came out of a rehearsal they're talking about on the day, like he's got a load of porn magazines that he's trying to, uh, not not trying to drop down to, to Romeo <laughs> and like it all goes wrong. Mum comes in, but that's, that's just such I a need fun my girls. scene. That... I need my babes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that just sounds like something that could only have come from a you know a young lad yeah yeah <laughs> that line completely completely yeah and it, it's yeah it's a beautiful thing it's a i've been talking about this a, a, a lot recently but i mean i mean as a as a thing before i started doing music i was working on short films i wanted to be in film i wanted to act i wanted to write i wanted to to, to, to direct and shane meadows delayed me massively because i thought i'm not going to write scripts it's going to be improvised. It's going to be this. We'll have a rough outline. That's how Shane does it. And the reality is that's all good if you're Shane Meadows. <laughs> if you're not, you're probably just being lazy and can't be asked to write a script. And it took me years to then go... I shot one thing that was made in the Shane Meadows way of improvise, planned out intricately, but improvised dialogue-wise and performance-wise. And then I finally sat down and started working on some scripts. And the first script I wrote was optioned by Warp and things oh. like that. It's like <laughs> none of them have been made yet, but it made me go, I've been spending all this time tr- th- thinking I've got to convince someone to go, J- just give me the money and the budget and we'll figure it out. When in reality, I'm a writer. I've always been a writer in music, in all these things. So writing it on page, you know, my hope in anything i made would then be to have plenty of room for improvisation plenty of room once we've cast everyone to tear the script apart but the the reality is i was just being a a, a lazy and going no i do it the shane meadows way i just uh we'll figure it out on the day (laughs) maybe a lot of film goers don't appreciate just how much work goes into workshopping building these characters up behind the scenes but you're like it's all improvised you know it's all the magic comes on the day just start rolling the amount of work that goes into not writing it is is as much if not more than would have gone into writing it as such so yeah I, I I love and it's the same in all of Shane's sort of work. His he's got such a good ear for music. Shane uses a lot of licensed tracks, a lot of great you know needle drops, and you know like if you just made a Spotify playlist of all of the music from Shane Meadows films, you would have a great time. Romeo Brass is exactly the same. Wild players. Do you do you remember much about the soundtrack when you from when you first watched it? No, not from when I first watched it, but last night watching it, and it was a funny one because I I was recording another podcast last night and it went late so i wasn't starting this until 10 o'clock and i'm not normally a a late night film watcher but the beauty was i knew it was under 90 minutes so (laughs) i knew i'd still be in bed at a reasonable hour and yeah this as as well as the actors that i've now got to know so much more since i last watched it it was the soundtrack moments that jumped out the Ian Brown or, or Stone Roses or whatever and stuff like that that just popped and felt so relevant to that time 
that period, that even that part of the country. Really, really adds to it. it adds, I guess it adds production value to the low-budget sort of nature of the film, but it, it just makes everything feel more lived in. Like, I love it. It feels so authentic. And the whole film, I think, is about authenticity, isn't it? You know, the characters feel fully fleshed out, how complex they are and messy they are. None of the characters are totally two-dimensional. Even the background characters, there's little speeches happening in the corner. Like when um, Knock Knock's going to the pool for his aquatherapy and the mum's having a chat with a nurse... And I'm I'm sure that they had a really you know great conversation about what they're going to talk about and and how they're going to do that. But just in the background, you're like, oh, of course the mum's going to know the nurse. They're going to go here every week. Yeah, it, it's mad how much realism there is, despite the fact Paddy's character is so big and played so ludicrous. Knock Knock's dad is such a comical character. Yet, as you say, it doesn't. None of it feels unrealistic. They feel huge characters but huge characters that you would see at a bus a bus station you know i always find that it it, in any town or city the bus station is where you find the real the characters you see these odd these odd humans and often wonderful humans and that's what this felt like it felt like paddy and anyone could go as big or as small as as they wanted with the performance because Ben and, and, Sh- and Shimmy's performances are very subtle and low-key and quite mumbly. Again, the beauty of that, that it's not this sharply delivered dialogue. There's a lot of... I like when R- R- Romeo... Again, it's, pro- it's probably g- g- going to be confusing for anyone who's not watched it because we're switching from character name to actor <laughs> name constantly on a dime. But when Andrew Sh- Shim's character comes to break up the fight initially... And he starts stumbling his words a bit and he starts calling him a stammering fool and all this kind of thing. It feels like that wasn't, that couldn't have been scripted. It feels like he's gone in and he's he's not sure what to say because that's realistic. It is a bit mumbly and a bit, nah, I'll do this or do that. Yeah. And all of that, the, 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 the underplaying of those characters alongside the overplaying of other characters and it's at no point jarring. It at no point feels like and we're watching two different films at once. It all just sits perfectly in a, a realistic a realistic world. Yeah, like when you say stuff like that, it feels like that could be bad for the movie. But when it's Shane Meadows behind the scenes and his you know team, his trusted sort of team he's worked with, film in, film out, it's magic. And Shane knows to, you know, with the, maybe they did other takes, but he went for the more authentic, the sort of slightly mumbly one because he knew that, that that's what he wants. He wants this real, lived-in, complex, messy world that people can relate to. They feel like best friends, don't they? Mm. Knock Knock and, and Romeo. They feel genuinely like there's years of history there. And that's an amazing achievement for brand new actors who I assume didn't actually know each other before this to manage to get that feeling of genuine history and genuine shorthand and talking over each other and laughing and mocking each other. It's, yeah... Love it in a ninety-minute runtime as well. You know, like we, we, he can, he's they're so good at condensing it down. I think it's those two scenes at the start, isn't it? It's the fish and chip shop walking scene, yeah, and then the scene with the porn mags. Yeah, like, okay, these guys are tight. I was gonna say, you say in a ninety-minute runtime. I was gonna say exactly that. They pull it off in the first three minutes of that fish and chip yeah. shop. The the back and forth and the the clear relationship and friendship and dynamic that's there. 
it's nailed in the first scene, which is mind-blowing. When films have a, are sort of centred around younger performers, it can go one of two ways. But I think Shane has just proved, you know, film in, film out, and project in, project out. He's great at finding young talent and giving young people a shot. I think this film is, you know, it's majority young people in the cast in all the main roles. Like, this is his calling card for that, I think, that approach. Yeah, it's amazing. There's something he does where, yeah, he builds families for, for, these, for these shows. He doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't write characters, he finds characters. Obviously, he does write these characters, but he seems so good at at making it a thing. And you read all the stories of his relationship with... Tommy Turgus and with Andrew Shim and with Vicky and all of these people that he worked with from such a young age and they're not colleagues they're not collaborators they're they're genuine they're huge parts of each other's lives and and his new show he's he's got Michael Socker in and Tommy Turgus and that's that sounds amazing it's it's imagining all of them imagining Shane making a period piece in the style that Shane makes stuff is unimaginable and that's what makes it so exciting it's like period tends to feel so set up and prepared and and organized so i can't wait to see what he does there's gallows pole isn't it is that i think it's called. yeah that's the one anytime a new shane meadows project is announced i'm excited but that one in particular reuniting with some of his you know best performers over recent years and some new performers throwing them into the mix as well as some new performers and some experienced performers in there which excited me because after not getting the virtues i thought am i now too experienced to to be cast in anything by shane because he's so good at finding unknown people i was like at that point i'd only had a couple of roles but maybe now i've had three or four more since then has my dream of working with shane gone out the window but there's a few people on there who are really good that he's not worked with before and yeah, it's exciting to see that mix of, of old and new. One beat, two beat, three beat, sugar beat, four beat, five beat, six beat, wheat a beat, seven beat, eight beat, nine beat, art beat, my art beat. My art is beating for you. It's nice, isn't it? Mm. Will you kiss me now then, please? I've really got again. I ain't gonna bite you, am I? I know you're not. There's one other actor we haven't mentioned, uh, sort of a key actor from Room for Romeo Brass, and it's Bob Hoskins. Yes. Who pops up in a, it's quite a small role. But a really beautiful and, again, a, a soft role, just as a, a kind of care worker or, or whatever he's playing, he kind of replaces Romeo as Knock Knock's friend when Romeo is having this period of not hanging around with him and being off with Morel. Yeah, and it's really key. It's really n- nice. It's done really gently. The parallel in their relationship, I think, is evident when Bob Hoskins' character f- f- is f- has fallen asleep and not not uh, uh, just throws something at him because that feels very him and Romeo. It feels like their relationship and their their kind of interaction. A really nice one. And I wonder how important his name was in in getting it made, despite the size of the role. N- maybe hiding the size of the role but as you say no no one else in this was really a 
a bankable commodity. So maybe Bob Hoskins being part of it might have helped get it over the line. This old DVD I've got here, the only cast member listed on the front is starring Bob Hoskins. If you buy this film because it says starring Bob Hoskins, you're waiting for a good hour before you see Bob. Exactly, right? <laughs> I guess I guess that must have played a big part in it. And obviously mm. Shane worked with Bob in his his first film. Yeah, 24-7 was his uh, debut yeah. feature. And, and I think Bob just loved the script and he loved Shane Shorts. And he was like, this guy's got talent. Yeah. Young guy, I'm going to give him a chance. And it's totally down to Bob that I think Shane's first film got made and, and probably why we have Shane Meadows today. And I love the fact that, yeah, that would have been what, as I said, the one named actor on the box is Bob Hoskins and he's barely in this. That must have been a, a day on set at best. At best, that Probably was a really a day. fun day as well. Yeah, 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 <laughs> completely. I think it just sort of adds, because, you know, I mean, I, I'm a huge Bob Hoskins fan as well, and uh, it just sort of adds to that Bob Hoskins legend. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. he's a good guy. Everybody who has ever worked with him always says great things about him. And not just show busy, bland statements, like really genuine things. You know, he took the time to talk to me. We went and had dinner. He helped me with my role. He helped me get a leg up in the biz, you know, because he wasn't fussy about being a big star. He just loved the work. He can spot talent. Yeah. <laughs> if he wants yeah. to be directed by Shane Meadows, he probably turned down some much bigger directors' uh, work at that time to do that. To, to do that completely, and it's yeah, and it's it's wonderful. As said, the such a small role, but such an important part in the production. I'd imagine, you know, that mm. involved. And it doesn't feel like oh my god, Bob Hoskins has just shown up. Like he feels like a lived-in character as yep. well. Yeah, completely. Uh, in film. He's managed to leave the star persona at the door and he's just blended in. Yeah, I completely agree. He doesn't come in with the intention of stealing the film or stealing the scene. He comes in, as you say, as, as, as part of it all, as part of the furniture almost. Well, this is such a fun film to talk about. I'm so glad to have it in our 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Third Chain Meadows film, fourth Paddy Considine film, first Bob Hoskins film. That's very exciting. Wow. I wonder how many more under 90 minute films Bob has, uh, Bob has put his name to. I wonder if it's, you know, it's only under under, under under 90 minutes because he's only got a couple of scenes. Maybe if, if he was in it more, it would have warranted a extended running time. I'm thrilled that we get to show a room for Amir Brass at our fictional film festival. We'll have a have to have like a Shane Meadows stage or something, a, a screen dedicated to his work. But as one of our guest curators, Pip, you know, you get to not just choose the film, but you get to choose how the film is shown. So if I could give you a cinema and, and a print of a room for Romeo Brass and a blank check to kind of deck this cinema out into how you would like to present this film to a paying audience, what would you do? I would go as big a screen as possible and. This is going to ru ruin everything you've got planned here, but I would spend that whole budget buying up every seat so I'm watching it completely on my own <laughs> with my drink and my ice cream and my hot dog and my chocolates, and I'd just drink it in. I'd really just just take it in. I think it's a beautiful th thing. I used to have... Um, in fact, I can't remember if we, sh we showed a room for Romeo Brass. I used to curate a film night at the Prince Charles Cinema... Oh, wow. And the whole idea of it was putting on films that I've fallen in love with on DVD and never seen on the big screen. And every single one that we put on, I saw stuff in films that I've seen multiple times that I'd never seen before. So yeah, I, I, I feel confident on that with this, that there would be all these moments and small things that maybe wouldn't have come through before. So yeah, I was delighting that. And I'm, I'm sorry 
that no one else is allowed in. <laughs> That's a unique answer. I mean, we all think it quite unique answers to that, but we've never <laughs> had I'm going to put on a private screening. And, you know, I take my hat off to you. That's an incredible answer. I sort of feel like I, if I could, I probably would do that too. I'm a big fan of daytime cinema. Both of the films I went to see yesterday, the first one was midday and the second one was t- two o'clock. So, yeah, I, I like a quiet cinema and just losing myself in it as much as i love you know comedies and horrors and things like that it can be great to have people there but i don't know i don't trust the general public enough to not ruin it to not get a phone out or or do something out of my control so i'd rather just play it safe and be as empty as possible and as i have the choice here (laughs) all to myself this is your show we can take the audience away it was always the case pre-pandemic and now post-pandemic or still kind of in the pandemic kind of world i'm even more on that i will be more comfortable if there's maybe one or two other people in the screen (laughs) you know i I, I won't have to think about anything or be they just cough i can be far enough away with these incredibly high ceilings that i don't (laughs) feel i'm at any risk so yeah room for all of the snacks and concessions as well yeah exactly that well i don't know if that that changes my next question but we we also ask if you could invite one person from the movie to maybe introduce it or to join for an audience q a who would you like to invite and it's totally it could be a one-on-one q a the other person in the screen with you that's tough my heart says shane because he's shane he's I've had Vicky on the podcast. I've chatted to Vicky a few times. I've, I've chatted to Shimmy a few times. I've had Paddy on. So I'd be tempted to say Shane. But after this conversation, I think I'd go with Ben Marshall because it's a oh. fascinating thing to have, this performance that is so amazing. As essentially his standalone, he was in a TV show and he had a small role in Anita and Me, I believe. But this was kind of his sole role that was his role. And it's amazing. So I'd be fascinated to go, you know, what was the deal? What happened? What was your experience? I know very little. So I think I'd have to hold off my Shane Meadow meeting for when he finally cast me in something and go with Ben Marshall for a a one-on-one Q&A to go, dude, number one, just to say, that's amazing. Maybe no one else has as high a hit ratio because you know that's that's a 10 out of 10 performance and there's no other performances to drag that percentage or ratio down okay well no, we'd be very happy to host the uh scroobius pit private screening of a room for romeo brass with ben marshall in attendance for only you yeah beautiful <laughs> at our film festival i would just get a kick out of putting that in the uh, poster for the festival we're doing this but you can't come <laughs> scroobius pit one-on-one uh, with ben marshall quite literally one-on-one with ben yeah. marshall <laughs> uh oh that's uh that's wicked okay well yeah happy to happy to accommodate the blank check is yours we will we will add that into our into our festival thank you so much for bringing the film on and for for being so generous with your time pip it's been a pleasure thank you for having me on and for being patient i know we've tried to line this up for probably a couple of years now so i'm glad we've finally got there and uh, i'm so glad that we landed on on a room for romeo brass because yeah it's a joy
think it's it's worth the wait. I'm I'm saying I'm thrilled. I loved for this podcast. You know, it's great to have films that people have heard of. Like things like Evil Dead Two come up a lot. One of the greatest under ninety minute films of all time. But I love it when you get to go a little bit deeper. And you know, it might not be the easiest film to find, but it's well worth seeking out, listeners. You know, get on eBay. You know, go on to get into your local secondhand DVD shop um, and check this out. And hopefully one day we'll get a nice new restored Blu-ray with loads of bells and whistles. Criterion. I hope you're listening. Um, yeah, warrants being in Criterion but, for sure. But it was it was a, a no brainer in the end because there were other films that I looked at on the list that I was thinking I'm choosing these to show that I'm into films. And whilst this may come across as that, it's not that. I said I got that DVD in 1999 at the time, completely not a film nerd, completely unaware of what an obscure film it was, and I've watched it so many times so it was the perfect one to go right i can pick this and actually get in know it inside and out i'm glad i got to reunite you with romeo brass for another yes nice to hear thank you pip if people want to find out what you're up to where's where's best to uh to find you on social media i'm on twitter and instagram until i get the courage to delete all all social media because i secretly hate it um but it's 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 at scroobius pipio and every wednesday i've got the distraction pieces podcast as said Stephen Graham has been on three times now. Ricky McClure has been on. Andrew Shim's been on. Paddy Considine has been on. But in general, if you just search distraction pieces and enter any name you want to enter, there's a good chance I've had them on. I've had a good few people on over the years. Or actually a good way to browse. Because again, I think with new podcasts, it's best to go with a familiar name. As you've touched upon, a lot of the favourite ones end up being ones that weren't familiar. But to start off, go over a familiar name and one of the best episodes i did was was with J- J- joe gilgan who's mm. obviously a legend of shane's worlds and hasn't done loads of podcasts so yeah the chat with joe gilgan is a great starting place if if you wanted to go and check things out there and you've got so many other great pods on your network as well like it's a good place to go if you're a podcast fan definitely check yes. out the other shows and if you're a film fan films to be buried with with Brett Goldstein is an amazing podcast. I think he might have surpassed me now on his weekly <laughs> lessons, which we've not discussed. But yeah, he he's probably now the biggest podcast on my network. But rightfully so, it's amazing. He's had some amazing people on. He had Barry J- J- Jenkins on recently, and then a few a few weeks later, he had Nia DaCosta and both of those episodes i was like man they're dream guests and he gets these amazing conversations so yeah i recommend films to be buried with as well and i recommend going to the cinema that's my main recommendation Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can also listen on our website, 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.